Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. So you know our keynote speaker from, quote unquote, the small screen. Kristen Cavallari got her start on the wildly popular reality show, Laguna Beach in the Hills, before taking a turn on Dancing with the Stars and her very own show, Very Cavallari. But now she's proving herself as a powerhouse entrepreneur. As the founder of the lifestyle brand Uncommon James, she's making chic, affordable, functional pieces for the modern woman, which you all got to check it out today. And she's killing it. Uncommon James brings in an estimated $30 million in revenue and recently expanded into the clean skincare category, as well as the Dallas market with their first brick and mortar location in Deep LM. Needless to say, I'm so excited to dive into the incredible career of this successful entrepreneur and talk to her about building her veritable lifestyle empire and launching her newest venture, Uncommon Beauty. So let's give a warm welcome to Kristen. So excited to chat with you. You are truly a powerhouse. Um, so let's get started. You launched your clean skincare line, Uncommon Beauty, under your umbrella brand, Uncommon, in May. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. What made you want to expand into the category? Gosh, well, to be honest, it wasn't even really on my radar. And I have to credit my old CMO um, because he was the one who noticed that everyone was asking me about my skincare routine. And he felt as though there was really something there. So he had previously worked for a sunblock company and he still was in touch with their lab, their manufacturer. So he thought, let's just reach out. Let's just start the conversation. I was interested. I, you know, at the time knew nothing about skincare. 
So what we did was I sent in the products I was using at the time. I thought I was using, well, they were high-end products, but I thought that they were relatively clean. Came to find out they're in fact not clean at all. And the lab really did a good job of educating me and handholding me through the whole process. And what they told me was that when you put all of these additives, these filler products on your skin, they're in fact doing the opposite effect. So we sit here thinking that we're doing a good thing for our skin, you know, anti-aging, whatever it is. And in fact, it's doing the opposite. So that was really alarming to me. I felt as though there was a need for a clean skincare line that was in fact clean because you can essentially say you're a clean skincare Mm -hmm. brand and you're really not. That was also alarming to me. Um, So I just felt like, okay, let's do it. I felt like there was something here. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I mean, the clean skincare industry has exploded, but to your point, it's unregulated. So no one really knows what's going on or what's considered clean. You decided to launch with five core products, a face wash, moisturizer, vitamin C serum, eye cream, and a lip balm. Why did you choose those products to launch with? So those are the five core products, the base of my daily routine, what I think, you know, could be the base of everybody's daily routine. And then in 2022, which is fast approaching, which is wild, um, we have two more phases of of new products that are a little bit more fun, like a a natural alternative to a Retin-A, for example, Some, some stuff like that. That's very much a part of the routine, but maybe not necessarily every day. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously this is different than your jewelry brand. So what were the challenges in launching a beauty line versus that initial line? God, I mean, a lot of stuff. I didn't really know anything about the industry. So like I said, I mean, I really am so thankful to our lab because they just, they educated me. I mean, they really did. They worked with me much closer than I think most labs do. Um, And so that was nice. I think too, you know, there was sort of this beauty about when I launched Uncommon James that I was doing it for fun. You know, it was like, I'm a mom. I kind of need something to do. I was just launched out of my house where now it's like, there's a little bit more pressure because more eyes are on us because we are a full-blown company now, which is incredible, but it's not quite the same. Like, Oh, screw it. Let's just see what happens. You know, there, it's a little bit more serious. And, um, and so I wanted to make sure that we did it the right way where with the jewelry, from the time I decided to launch Uncommon James to when I actually did, it was only four months. Wow. In hindsight, maybe not the best decision I've ever made. I, a little more thought probably should have gone into it. But with the skincare, we really did take the time. I mean, we really, you know, I tested these products for months. We, we had a lot of revisions. And so it was just a little bit more thought went into it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's kind of always a good sign though when you go fast and furious into a business because I think you learn so much and also your naivety can be like very valuable in yes. those months because you're like, well, I don't know what I don't know. So here <laughs> exactly. we go. But you learn real quick what you <laughs> don't know. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. So definitely more um, high stakes. But how did you determine the pricing model? So like when you're making a clean product, is that more expensive because you're putting less of the, I assume, cheaper filler product yeah. in there? Yeah, it is much more expensive. But, you know, to your point, affordability is the most important thing to me and quality of product, but affordability. And I think I have a very good handle on my customer. I think I know what they are willing to spend, what they want to spend. And so what we did with with the skincare was obviously we took into consideration our cost, the margins that we wanted to have. 
and we did a lot of market research. My team did, um, and I did a little bit, but they, they really brought everything to me, which is the beauty of having a team. <laughs> and then I base a lot of stuff off of my gut feeling. So I have a girl in my office, this girl, Erin, who will give her suggestions for pricing. And then I'll kind of go in and tweak them a little bit, depending on what I think the customer is willing to pay. Yeah. Pricing is truly an art and a science and trying to figure out who your customer is going to be. Yeah. And you also don't want to go in too high early or go in too low early, because then if you have to raise the price down, down the line, it's yes. not good either. I've always been told you want to start high and then because you can always come down, but it's very challenging to start low and then bump your prices up because customers get mad. I mean, and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. So as we mentioned at the beginning, clean beauty is a hot market. So how are you differentiating from other brands out there? And what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are entering a competitive market space? Well, I think really the piece that I'm trying to hammer home with everybody is that we are clean. You know, we, we are. And a lot of these brands that say that they are, aren't, and it's just educating the customer on that component. Mm. So it is a super saturated market though. And I really credit my fan base from my reality TV days. I mean, I think as we get older, life starts to make sense and everything is building blocks. And I'm so thankful for my experience on TV for giving me this notoriety and having really loyal fans. And I don't know that Uncommon James would exist if I didn't have that. So I feel very lucky to have that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. I mean, so much has changed since the early days of reality TV. Now there's so many people on reality TV but using your platform to actually build a genuine business is, is really smart. So how did you know post being on TV? Like, okay, here's my next move. Did you bring in business advisors or was it just sort of a natural passion for you? Well, so I had a shoe line with Chinese laundry for gosh, about five years in my early twenties, early mid twenties. And I, I loved that experience, but I was ultimately answering to a whole team of people. You know, I had final say, but I didn't really have final say. And I was having debates, if you will, with the owner of Chinese Laundry, who's an older gentleman, no offense to him, but I'm designing for women that want to wear shoes that are my age. And I just, I didn't, I wasn't crazy about the experience towards the end. So because I had my shoe line, I felt as though jewelry was the next natural step. I love accessories. I think they can make or break your outfit. And so I actually launched a jewelry line with a girlfriend before on Common James called Emerald Dove. And that I learned really what not to do more so than what to do. And that was an incredible experience. I'm so thankful for that experience and that it did ultimately blow up in my face. We've since become close again, which makes me so happy, but it was, it was difficult for a couple years there. And so I, I just decided to launch Uncommon James and I sort of had this fire in me to like prove everybody wrong. Like, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. I know what my girl wants. I really appreciate you sharing those stories because it's funny. We always hear about the successes, but you never hear about the failures. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, you know, stories like Anna Wintour was fired from her job or right. Winfrey. Like you don't hear those stories on the way up, but you know, it was fascinating. So I had a business partner break up as well. And I thought it was like the end of the world. Like, right. and you're like, this only happened to me. No one else knows. Once you start talking to everyone, everyone's I gone know. through it. And it's true. I considered it my, my MBA in exactly. starting a business. Yep. I agree. Absolutely. Completely. So you've grown Uncommon James into a robust lifestyle brand with jewelry, home goods, apparel, and now of course, beauty. So how do you know when it's time to launch a new category? Great question. So I think in the beginning, we were on such a rocket ship of growth and it was more like, okay, launch the jewelry. Oh, sure. I'll do home. Oh yeah. Let's do little James too. Like I, I didn't think I didn't have a business plan. It was just like, go, go, go. Now I can take a step back. I can take a breath. And 
I don't think that's the right move. <laughs> but um, we were only able to launch on Common Beauty for a few reasons. One of them being I hired a C-suite level, actually in the height of COVID, like March of 2020. And I just decided stay the course. <laughs> like, don't like, listen to the noise, just stay the course, which thank God I did. And they brought in a level of experience that I didn't have before. And they also took a lot off my plate where we were able then to expand I couldn't have done it on my own. And, and I think it's important to let a, a line breathe for a while. I mean, we launched on Common Beauty in May. I feel like it's just still, it's finding its footing. We don't even know potentially what it's capable of yet. I hope that it's actually going to overtake the jewelry one day. It's looking like it will head that way. Um, but I think it's important to just, instead of spreading yourself so thin, focus on a few great things that you're good at and make those the best that you can be. That's kind of where my mindset is now. Yeah, absolutely. And now you have a tried and true brand and audience that you can kind of test and see and learn from. Um, but I totally agree with you on bringing in the C-suite. I think it's something that is so important and maybe it's not a C-suite for you. It's a director level or whatever, but having someone come in because you can't do everything for everyone for so long. Yeah. One of the things you've done is you've expanded into brick and mortar locations. Um, you have Nashville, Chicago, and now Dallas. Yeah. So how do you choose the retail locations and how did you know this was the right move for for the business. That's something that we're really trying to figure out right now. So Nashville, I wanted to open up Nashville. It's our flagship store because I live there. I actually was looking for office space and I found the location that we're in. And I thought, well, this is such a great location. We may as well have a storefront too. So it just sort of happened. And then Chicago and Dallas are both huge markets for us. But what we're maybe playing with is that we might be more of a destination city. So next year, we're actually going to open up Charleston in the spring and then Austin in the fall. More, more bachelorette, kind of like, you know, destination cities. And if those two stores do really well, then we'll know that's really where our market is because Nashville crushes it. And that's a bachelorette heaven. <laughs> truly. I, you know, I mean, truly. And, um, and Dallas and Chicago do well, but they're nothing like Nashville. And so the next year will be very telling for us about our, our trajectory of now our brick and mortars. Awesome. I love that. I love kind of just putting it out there, seeing how it performs and then making your decisions based on that. So you launched the brand as a direct to consumer brand, but you've expanded your reach by selling up your products at major retailers like Revolve and Nordstrom. How has diversifying your selling point helped you scale Uncommon James beyond just the direct to consumer model? Well, initially I was really excited about Nordstrom because I felt they gave us brand credibility, mm -hmm. which they did. I mean, they, they really serve their purpose. I think there's a misconception that these big box retailers are going to be money makers for you. They're not at all, at all, at all. <laughs> I thought every wholesale company was a standard 50, 50, 50. Nordstrom takes in the sixties. So, I mean, they're making more money than we are on our own products. So it's just, it's interesting. It's a model that I, I didn't know a lot about. We're actually walking away from all of our outside parties and I decided, made that decision during COVID for a few reasons. One of them being, I think it's really important right now to support actual businesses rather than these big box retailers. Mm. And that's just me as a business owner. I get it. I think instead of supporting the Amazons of the world, it's, it's important right now, but, and, and they don't, they're not money makers for us and they want you to bend over backwards for them. So we just decided we don't need it. Luckily, I think it's a different story. If you're just starting out and totally. you need as many eyes on you as possible, then you want to be in every department store, every store for that matter. But where we are, luckily, we just don't need it anymore. That's so true. And I think that's such great advice because to your point, it does build credibility and you're getting the eyeballs and all those different things. But I think it's interesting for people to hear like you, they're actually making more money than you are on those 
those deals. It's crazy. It's, it was shocking. And I negotiated our, our percentage too. And I was like, man, we're not making any money. I think we're losing money on this. Yeah, it's interesting. When it comes to buying the perfect gift, you might be on the hunt for unique or practical. But what about eco-friendly? The need to be a mindful shopper has become really important to me in recent years, and it doesn't stop with products just for me. I love introducing my friends and family to new sustainable brands, and what better time than during gift-giving season? If you're a work party listener, then you've probably heard that I curate a gift guide of my favorite sustainable products each year for my friends and family. Criteria includes all natural products that are sustainably made, ethically produced, and something they will really, really love and use. I always include a few clothing items on the list, but I try to make sure the material is of the highest quality so they can wear it for years to come without ever needing to be replaced. And this year, I'm definitely including Print Fresh's ethically produced sleepwear sets in my gift guide. Print Fresh is one of my favorite female-founded brands. The luxury sleepwear brand focuses on size, inclusivity, and sustainability. Each piece is designed in-house and handcrafted by socially and environmentally conscious partners in India who screen print every piece by hand. I really love the attention to detail. Sizes range from petite to extra small to 6X, and each design is available in all gender silhouettes, so anyone will find their perfect fit. I'm a huge fan of comfort dressing, and what I love so much about Print Fresh is that their head-to-toe patterned pajamas are 100% organic cotton, so they're super soft, chic, and just unbelievably cozy. Whimsical animal prints layered in bold colors make them the perfect set to throw on when it's time to cozy up by the fire. Trust me, their prints check every festive box when it comes to the holidays and you cannot go wrong. Like I said, my standards are very high for these products, but Print Fresh is no doubt a perfect fit. With sizes for all, order a different Print Fresh pattern for everyone on your gift list with free and fast shipping. Pajamas are such a simple gift, but even more special when they're made sustainably. Head to printfresh.com and use code PARTY for 15% off your first order. That's printfresh.com, code PARTY for 15% off your first order. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand, always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. So you mentioned COVID. How did last year affect your long-term strategy? What were some of the lessons you learned? Well, in a way, it was a good thing for the business because like I said, we were on this rocket ship and it forced us to take a step back and evaluate the whole company. Look at the org chart. Look at our online store, really, because, you know, in a sense, a, a brick and mortar store has a manager. They have multiple assistant managers. They're constantly getting a refresh of the floor, all this stuff. And our website, we weren't doing that for. Mm -hmm. And it's, we think about it, it's your biggest, well, for us, it's our biggest store. Pre-COVID, we were about a 70-30 split online, 70 retail stores, 30, and now it's about 80-20. But in that sense, you have to give it the same love, if not more love than your, your brick and mortar. So we actually completely redid our website. We went through the org chart, got rid of a few positions, unfortunately, but it was just one of those things we had to do. And when you're in hyper growth mode, 
there is a moment where you're like, we need this role and then we should have this role and this one. And then all of a sudden it's like, we, we don't need any of these roles. This is such a waste of money. So it was, it was a good learning lesson. Yeah. It gave everyone as an entrepreneur a time to step back and evaluate your business in a way that you would never be able to have, especially yeah. in hyper growth mode. Um, and a lot of times you see these VC backed businesses have hundreds of thousands of employees and they're not even making money. And it's, it's crazy. Um, so let's talk about capital, obviously opening stores, building a business costs money. Did you take outside funding or did you completely bootstrap the business? No, I have never taken a dollar from anybody. I'm hundred percent the owner. Amazing. Thanks. Thank you. I'm, um, thanks. Yeah. That deserves a round <laughs> of applause. You. I mean, yeah, I realize how lucky I am. And I actually remember years ago seeing a video that Jennifer Fisher did, an interview, and she said, if you can fund it yourself, do it. And that's just stuck in my head. And I'm really fortunate. I know that not everybody can do that, but having complete creative freedom to do whatever I want and not have to answer to anybody is such a dream come true. So I'm so thankful. That's incredible. Congratulations, because I think these days having a business with your level of success, not being venture back, is it's a true feat. So congratulations on that. And you've built an impressive business that brings in an estimated 30 million in revenue, which is incredible. But what's been the biggest money lesson that you've learned along the way? That it's really important to know every single dollar going out and coming in too. But I almost think more importantly, going out, you got to have a really good handle on your bottom line. I've had two CFOs. I had one who was my first like real legit position. And I just sort of trusted everything and I didn't really know everything going on. He never stole money from us, but my new CFO who I have had now for about a year and a half, I mean, the things he's pointing out to me about what my old CFO was doing and even our American Express bills every month, it's like, Mm. what is going on? Like, and I just wasn't really aware of it. So it's just really important. Even if you have people you trust, you just always gotta know what's going on. That is so true. And it's funny, anything I've read about billionaires, they're like, they're still in the weeds on where their money's going. And I think that's so important because also like, people's relationship to money and their idea of a lot of money and a little money are very different. So if people are spending to your point on your Amex or whatever, and they're like, Oh, this isn't a big deal. It's, you know, a $5,000 purchase, but it's not in the budget. It can debilitate your entire business. True. So you mentioned team, of course, it takes more than just you to build this successful (laughs) company. So what advice can you share for small business owners who are in the process of building their team out? It can be challenging. You know, I think for a while I was sort of down on myself because we had quite a bit of turnover and I was like, well, is it me? Am I, I don't know how to interview people, which I don't, I'm horrible at interviewing people, but I luckily don't have to do it anymore. But the more CEOs and founders I've spoken to have said, that's just sort of part of it. I think Mm -hmm. who's with you from the very beginning, unfortunately is probably not going to be who's with you at the end. Although I do have a couple girls who have been with me from very early on, which makes me really happy. But You know, to hire my C-suite level, I actually had to hire a recruiting company. I couldn't do Mm -hmm. it myself. And being in Nashville, there's not a lot of talent in retail. Mm -hmm. So, and recruiting companies are very expensive, but that is a cost that for me anyways, has really worked out. I mean, my COO and my CFO are my two best employees and I found them through Corn Ferry, the recruiting company. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, the recruiting business is booming right now. Sure is. (laughs) Um, No, it's so true. And I I think to your point, there's a lot of pressure on female CEOs who have high turnover. We've experienced it. Every female entrepreneur I know has experienced it where 
it's interesting because I, there's been a lot of articles that have come out recently. Like there was one about Goop and, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow. And it was all about how she must be the problem. Right. And there was an article that came out about Amazon, about employee turnover and people leaving, not one mention of Jeff Bezos. That makes me so mad. So mad. It really pisses me off. Like, oh, it must be us. It's yeah. like, we're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I'm like, this is so wild to me. It's just the way wow. media reports on it. But mm-hmm. it's so true when you're in hyper growth mode. And honestly, just the industry in general has changed. Like people don't stay at jobs for five years anymore, no. you know? So it's really getting the, and the people who do are your like ride or dies. Yeah. But it's really about, you know, creating, you know, opportunity for them to get something out of it and you to get something out Absolutely. of it. And yeah. From there. Yep. So what advice can you share for all women entrepreneurs listening today on building a profitable company and generating wealth as a female founder? Well, the most important thing is having a really good handle on your bottom line, which we touched on earlier. It's exciting and fun to get wrapped up in gross revenue, but it really doesn't mean anything. (laughs) And so I think just really understanding the ins and outs of your business, again, hiring the right people because my CFO is really he's been teaching me everything and really pointing everything out to me. But that's the most important thing is just knowing your bottom line. And one of the reasons you started Uncommon James, you mentioned was to build a career where you'll be able to come home at night and have dinner with your family. But being an entrepreneur can be obviously extremely demanding. So how does this expectation of owning your own business live up to the reality? (laughs) Now it's great. I was grinding for a few years. But, you know, the thing is, there was about a two-year period where I was... I was had on Common James and it was on hyper growth mode. I was filming very Cavallari. Um, I was working on a cookbook and then I had my family. I was burnt out. It was too much. But I will say, even in that time, I was home every night for dinner. <laughs> and that is the beauty is that owning your own company, you essentially can make your own hours. And that is the best freedom. I mean, it, it really and truly is. But I think you just have to know if you are going to start your own business, it's not for the faint of heart. You're going to have to bust your ass for a while. And then there will come a time where you get over the hump and then it will just be very enjoyable, but not until you're making decent money that you're able to hire other roles. And you can kind of, you know, for me, it was hiring my COO took off, you know, the fulfillment center, customer service, like all these things that I, I care, but I, I, it can't take up my day. I want to be designing and planning the photo shoots and doing the fun stuff. And so, and that's what I'm doing now. And, and I'm really enjoying the company now, but for a while I felt like I was just drowning. It was a lot. Yeah, absolutely. But to your point, I think it's important that you did all those things because then you were informed on them and then you can bring in the experts to kind of help you once you get there. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the girls on the team and I were chatting about the cookbook this morning and, and there was a big rave about the chili recipe. I'll just Aww. say, so was like, they were all like, it, it is, is chili del- season. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, so if you could go back to the beginning of your career, you know, 20 something year old Kristen, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? I would just say to be present, be in the moment, you know, it goes so fast. And I think my whole life, not even just 20, but like when I was 12, I wanted to be 16 and then I wanted to be 18. I was never just in the moment. Now that I am a little bit older, I want time to slow down and I just want to enjoy everything that life has to offer. So true. And I read this, it was interesting. I read this in an article the other day that was saying, you know, people in entertainment, you know, before getting an Oscar was, was the big prize. Now it's having an IPO. So what's (laughs) next for you and Uncommon James? Oh my gosh. Well, we're going to open two stores next year. And then honestly, beyond that, there's no real plans. And I'm not looking to add you know, women's clothing. We have little James, but I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling really great about where we're currently at. I just want to focus on what we're doing and do it really well. Oh, I love that. That's, that's so wonderful. Okay. So before we run out of time, we're going to do some rapid fire. Okay. Sentence finishers. Okay. 
The three traits that got me to where I am today are resilient, intuitive, and determined. Hmm. The first lesson I learned the hard way as a business owner was? Well, I sort of learned this through the jewelry line that I had with my girlfriend. And it's, you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket. So you don't want to put everything into your company. We came at it from very different perspectives. I was looking at it as a company that I wanted to grow. I was thinking about it in five, 10 years. She was looking at it like I need to make a buck today. And I think when you come at it from that perspective, it's fine, but I think you're going to make decisions that aren't going to benefit you five years down the line. So it's just a different mentality. I'd say have a safety net. Don't put everything into your company. Absolutely. And having those hard conversations up front about money are so important. I'm like, do we have the same business partner? Uh, But legitimately of like, how do you view money? And like, what are you in this for? It can be a very hard conversation, but an important one. Yeah. The interview question I always ask potential candidates. Well, you don't interview okay. anymore. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. uh, work harder or smarter? Mm. My number one piece of money advice for new entrepreneurs is? Uh, I sort of said this earlier, but know every single dollar going out. The entrepreneur I'd most love to grab coffee with? Anina Bing. I oh, love her. Oh my God. Yeah, she's I just best. think she's so cool. She's very cool. Yeah. yeah. She's an angel. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can definitely make that happen. Um, when I need to unwind at the end of a long day, work day, I open a bottle of wine. Oh my God. And dry farm wine. I literally I learned this from you. The non-hangover the wine. Best. It is truly the best. This, this is not no hangover a hashtag wine. ad. It's but. true, you guys. It's the only wine I can drink. You can have a few and still be fine the next day. Uh-huh. Pro tip. It's, it's seriously amazing. And I learned about it from you. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, thank for being you. here. We appreciate thank it. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. Work Party.